Welcome. Good morning. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. Today we're going to be talking about early treatment, um, why you should avoid the hospital, why we have absolutely one of the best medical systems in the world that has been corrupted recently. Um, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Before we get there, um, I want to say Happy New Year. We have a big year in front of us. We need to act. You need to get involved. It's not enough to listen to a show. It's not enough to go vote. Find your group. Find your place. Get inspired and help us change our country because freedom is worth fighting for. First thing is some opportunities to get involved. Uh, Sunday, that was January 9th. From 2 to 4 p.m., there is a medical freedom rally. So a bunch of people are meeting at the, what is that, southeast corner of Clovis and Shaw, kind of by Sierra Vista Mall, out on the corner. And if we don't stand for medical freedom, we're not going to have it. And Joe Biden and King Newsom, neither one seem to care one little bit. They think that the role of government is to take care of you. You know, womb to the tomb tell you what to do there does seem to be a history of countries that tried that route venezuela what happened to the left bragging about venezuela russia it's gone china who was really not doing well couldn't feed its own people until they took steps towards having capitalism they're still got real problems and you don't have freedom in china but they had to at least move towards capitalism just to survive uh, next event, January 10th, that is the Clovis chapter of Constitutionalists for California. Um, if you didn't know, I'm the lead for that, so that's why you hear me talking about constitutionalists all the time. We have a dinner meeting at Luna's Restaurant in Old Town Clovis at 6.30 p.m. Um, come out and join us. There won't be as much meeting. Uh, I believe we have Rachel Ham. She's running for Secretary of State, and she's a local candidate. Um, she's going to stop by and have dinner with us, so I think that's a good thing. January 11th, the Kingsburg chapter of Constitutionals for California has Fresno trustee board member, Terry Sladek. Um, he went to a conference of board members down in Southern California, and the things that they're trying to teach the boards, it's just insane. It was all about promoting things like CRT, it's just a hot mess, and if we can't get that level of people to stand for our rights, to not be essentially racist, because I think CRT is racist, if, you, if the first thing it does is see the color of your skin, not the content of your character, then, of course, it's racist. So there's an opportunity. That is at 6.30 p.m. That is at 15,000 Rose Avenue, January 12th. Um, I have made the last 13, soon to be 14, Clovis Unified School District board meetings. I've spoken at now 13, soon to be 14. It'll be interesting what they do. Will they make the people in the crowd wear a mask? Will they, just, will they have the strength to stand, or will they show that, no, once again, they're sheep? There's hope there. I like several of the board members, but at the same time, they're going, our hands are tied and we can't do anything and there's no bold leadership. I think there's an obligation at every level of government to
to stand for the people's rights. And mandates aren't laws, and King Newsom also said, well, we're not going to enforce it, but he just extended from January 15th to February 15th that we have to wear masks. I think that everybody that wants to wear a mask, you have the right. I'm okay with that. If it makes you feel better, it's like Linus's security blanket, but I don't think it works very well. The final event, um, this is an ongoing event every Sunday at 8 a.m. There are a group of us that are defending religious liberty, and that's at Adventure Church. So that is the corner of, what is that, Wishon and Olive? So essentially the Tower Theater. The left has been out there now for weeks trying to stop the legal sale of the Tower Theater. The church has agreed to have events just like the Tower Theater did before, put it in the contract. The owner is willing to sell, and the Fresno City government has decided they need to butt in. And that's not the role of government. Why weren't they trying to save the Tower Theater before Adventure Church was there? If they really believed it, they would be. Instead, it's a political stunt and one more way that they're trying to impose their will. So we needed to stop that. Today I am joined, happily joined, um, by Eric Olson. And we're going to talk about his experience helping with early treatment. Was it your parents or your or in-laws. It was my in-laws. Your in-laws. Okay. Yep. So early treatment, I think, is incredibly important. But first, just give me just a little bit of your background. Boy, a little bit of my background. Um, I'll try to keep it a little bit uh, COVID-related. Um, I I come to everything with a healthy degree of skepticism. I'm the one that always says, I don't even buy the first model year car. I just want to see how it all turns out. Um, I was a helicopter pilot in the Army. Same thing. Never fly the A model of anything. You know, that's just come through my history. And so when everything COVID happened, I decided, you know what, I'm going to just look into it, keep an open mind. Started hearing about these early treatments and started doing research on it because, you know, in my mind, if you can stay out of the hospital, that's a good thing. So when all of the research was saying it either is totally benign or helpful, I'm going to keep looking into it. So I had been doing the research for this last year and a half, almost two years by this point, into the early treatments and following the early treatment protocols and seeing even if there's a small chance, I should know about it because eventually we're all going to get COVID. That's what happens with airborne viruses. Wait, but didn't Joe Brandon say that he was going to defeat the virus? Yeah, I've heard that somewhere before um, on the news every day. We've never, ever, 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 ever defeated an airborne respiratory virus. Huh. It, it, so, you know, history was on my side. I figured probably we're all going to get this eventually. We should figure out how to treat it. So everything from, you know, the old uh, wives' remedies of let's do chicken soup. Okay, why does chicken soup help? What are the different remedies out there? I just started exploring them so that I was ready when eventually we got this or someone we knew got this. Through that process, all of a sudden people started asking me, hey, what should we do? I'm not a doctor. Anyone that knows me, I'm definitely not a doctor. That doesn't mean that an average citizen that is smart 
and has some common sense, can't figure some things out. Absolutely. This stuff is actually pretty easy. Um, you know, when they, the first uh, reports came out discrediting hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, I said, great, I want to see this. Let me go to the reports, not just the news clips. Right. But click on that link in the report and say, all right, show me the actual study. The studies were bogus. Right. They either picked people that were almost dead yep. or used either way too high or way too low a doses. And both of, and the reason we can determine way too high or way too low is both of those drugs have years and millions of doses, so a huge track record of what a normal dose would be. Absolutely. And so I just started looking at these, and I was following the latest um, treatment protocols and then we got the call on, let me see here, it was a week and a day after Thanksgiving Day that my in-laws both tested positive and they were symptomatic. So loss of sense, loss of taste and smell, all of the normal symptoms, the congestion, the wheezing, the lack of energy, all of that stuff. So one of the earlier forms of COVID. <laughs> Absolutely. Most likely Delta, you know, the, the big bad Delta. And so, you know, these are my in-laws. They are both up there in years, you know, 170, 180, and they both have, as most people do at that age, a few pre-existing conditions. So at the tail end of the Delta surge, the age is in the high-risk category. The conditions put a little bit higher risk. We decided, okay, this is something that we need to take care of. So we grabbed everything that we could and drove back to Colorado and started going through every bit of this early treatment protocol that everything that we had learned up to date, including um, the nasal and the the throat rinses that are just now coming out and getting into the mainstream. We had, I had just heard about those, I think, the day before. Um, I heard about them at the Dr. Peter McCullough event. Absolutely. So those are just now coming out, and the um, the efficacy of that is astonishingly high. So we took every bit of it back there, and we just started treating naturally, treating wow. at home. We got all the protocols, and I know that we're going to go through each of the individual things. But what we found is, so my mother-in-law, she had had symptoms for about a week, didn't think it was COVID until she lost uh, taste and smell. Then my father-in-law was probably about four days behind her as far as the viral progression, so she gave it to him. So he hadn't lost his um, taste and smell, but they had both tested positive that day, the same day. We got back there two days later and started them on the whole battery of everything. Um, there's a lot of pills involved. My uh, my father-in-law joked that he felt like a maraca because he had so many pills <laughs> rattling around inside of him. But within about three days, the standard amount of days you hear from Joe Rogan, from everyone else... Mm-hmm. After three days, they really turned the corner and bumped up. They still had symptoms and some, I'll say, small oscillations in symptoms over the next um, probably 14 days, which is about what you hear, and they're both doing great now. Well, that is a blessing. Absolutely. I agree. I think it's important to, to realize that if you can treat this and not allow it to get bad enough to have to go to the hospital, that's a good thing. Um, the fact that early treatment was completely ignored. Um, strangely enough, one of the governors, rather than 
some medical professional, and there are a few that stepped up and said, we need to do this, but very few politicians have had the strength to go, oh, yes. Um, and I would say Ron DeSantis is one of them. Early treatment works. Why did this get ignored? Was it incompetence or is there a money issue? Um, I know that you can treat with ivermectin for pennies, hydroxychloroquine for not much more than that, or you can be mandated if you go into the hospital and get resdenomir, and that is $3,000 a dose, plus the hospital gets a kickback, and it shuts down your kidneys, it shuts down your liver. Fauci quoted an Ebola study of how resdenomir was safe. Um, You might know the answer to this. I happen to know the answer. Um, When you actually look at that study, what percentage of the people died? It was two of the five people in the study. The other two of the five people had to be pulled off of remdesivir because of severe interaction with their kidney and livers and all that kind of stuff. And one of them... The only one that basically made it through without significant effects was the one that it didn't help Ebola at all, and they just made it through and it didn't poison them. So yeah, of five people, four of the five had very significant toxic effects from remdesivir. Yeah, that's crazy. And and yet Fauci said that's completely safe. Yeah, that was one of those sort of eye-opening things for me is when they you know, at that time, you know, end of last year, the the vaccine is coming out. It's not in circulation yet, and it's supposed to be safe and effective, what we all heard. I heard it this morning on the news from our California Department of Health. Yeah, and you, at this point, you're either willfully ignorant or willfully incompetent, if you're saying that at this point. Yeah. But back then, we were all hopeful. Oh, absolutely. And at the same time, they said there's a therapeutic. Now, I had already read all of the studies showing that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin were showing a lot of um, a lot of efficacy early on in the disease progression because those were out there. I started early on when I'd find these reports, I'd save them to my computer after a couple times of seeing a report, reading it, going back to the same site and having it pulled down. So the censorship has just been astonishing. And that's a whole nother subject. But I followed the trail because I didn't know anything about remdesivir. So the emergency use authorization for remdesivir. Great. Let me look at the studies. And in the CDC's emergency use authorization, it cites the effectiveness of the drug based off of the Ebola study. There's a link in the document. I click on the link. I look at the Ebola study. Wait a minute. This isn't safe or effective. This is actually killing people. And when you look at the progression of what it does to the human body in that study, I mean, I I don't do medical studies, but in that study. But we can read them. Yeah, it says exactly what happened to the people that had remdesivir toxicity. And all of a sudden, I started hearing of people. We both know someone here in town that went through the exact progression. Mm -hmm. I have um, uh, someone I know from college went through the exact progression. These people are dying in our hospitals and their disease progression is the exact same as it lists in that original remdesivir study. You can't make that kind of stuff up. Yeah. Um, I don't understand why more medical 
medical doctors aren't standing against this. Um, that's just crazy. It's also crazy that every other medicine, think about any time you watch TV and a commercial comes on, and they give you a list so long that you can't possibly read it during the length of the commercial of the side effects. Um, I know lots and lots of people that have gotten the shot, and they got no informed consent. Oh, no, it's safe and effective. Come take this shot. Yep. Um, I recently saw that the CDC is admitting that there is some potential for myocarditis, infl- yep. inflammation of the heart. Yep. Um, but then there was somebody that went through and did a study and picked up a couple categories that CDC – CDC only looks at the codes that go with that hospital that have to do with myocarditis. But what if that person instead went to the local hospital? What if that person in the notes had symptoms of myocarditis, but they didn't code it that way? So somebody went back and picked those up and found that, yes, we have about the same incidence of myocarditis as numerous other places. I believe they mentioned Hong Kong, Quebec, province of Quebec, Canada. I think it was Denmark, somewhere in in that region. And it was interesting that the world is starting to find this out. Japan, actually, is out of the roughly 200 countries. I think there's 197, but Mm -hmm. roughly 200 countries in the world. Japan is the only one that has actually forced the vaccine companies to put a warning of potential myocarditis on there. Absolutely. And that's um, one of the one of the guys I found early on was um, Ryan Cole up in um, Idaho. And what I like about him is he's not only a lab guy. I mean, he's a doctor. Smart guy, way smarter than I'm going to be. So he's he's a lab guy, but he also sees people in private practice. So that's a great combination of real world on the ground and advanced theoretical diagnostic. And so I really like what he had to say. And one of the things that he said early on that really stuck with me is you can't find what you don't look for. Yeah. And so many of these things are not, when you're not looking for it, you can't find it. One of the things that absolutely shocked me about um, vaccine-related medical incidents with going back to the whole safe and effective thing is that you're not considered fully vaccinated until 14 days after you get your second shot. Most of the side effects happen within 14 days after shot one or shot two. Mm -hmm. So those are not being coded as vaccinated because the person is not by definition fully vaccinated. That automatically skews the data going into the, the database on that we're using to determine safe and effective. You can't you can't change data, and um, you know we talked a little bit. In my background, I'm I'm an engineer by training, and I can't analyze a piece of equipment if I don't have half the data. Yeah, that is fair. And you know I don't have to be a scientist or a doctor to know that. If if I only have data from this half the piece of equipment and not the other half, I can't figure out what's really going on. That's just that's just common sense. And when we're not looking at that data, we're purposely not tracking it. We have a problem determining what's causing these things. There is no doubt. We're going to go ahead and take a break. Um, This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. 
Welcome back. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. Um, I want to say that my tech today is a brand new intern, which I'm excited about. And it's nice to have somebody besides me that makes all the mistakes. Usually it's all me. But he's doing his best, and I very much appreciate it. Um, I'm excited that we have a new young man interested in learning about something. That is important in today's world. Anyway, um, getting back to the show. With early treatment, they're now limiting monoclonal antibodies. Who can get it? Where you can get it? What's up with that? So this is one of the things that I just plain can't figure out. I have lots of friends here, including friends that are older and including friends with pre-existing conditions, that it's pulling teeth to get monoclonals here in Fresno. It's not just here. As I look around, it's all over. the. It's everywhere except a few preferred places like Washington, D.C. Well, and that's what's that's what I can't figure out. So, like I said, we got back into Colorado Springs um, a little over a week after Thanksgiving. We found a place that had monoclonals. And this isn't like a walk-in clinic. It's basically like a spa. And we talked to them. We found them on Saturday. Made an appointment on Saturday. The only reason we didn't get them on Sunday is because they were closed. Once again, it's a spa. This isn't a medical facility. And 8.30 Monday morning, we were in getting monoclonals. There was no question. They actually, so the monoclonals were for my in-laws because they, they tested positive. And they asked us if we had tested positive. So I don't fit any of the demographics for high risk. Didn't matter. If I had a positive test and went in there and paid my couple hundred bucks, and yeah, a couple hundred bucks, not the 13, 1500 it is out here. I could have got monoclonals right then and there. Why? Why is it that I can go to Colorado and get monoclonals the next day and I can't get them here? I I have I have not been able to find any answer to that. It makes no sense that we're rationing these things that are easy to make, that are cheap to make. It also makes no sense that I know someone that has got them out here in Fresno. They, I believe that the price tag was thirteen ninety nine. They were less than two hundred and fifty dollars in Colorado Springs. I don't have an answer to that, but it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Well, and there's three three drug companies, and I believe five drugs that are emergency use approved in the U.S. So three companies. If they worked, these these could have been cranked out. The idea that testing is the answer when three minutes, frankly, 30 seconds after taking the test, you could be exposed and catch it. Testing is only useful if you have symptoms and well, only somewhat useful. Yeah, and, and we can we can go down the path of the test also. Um, it's a little better now, but it was terrible to start off with, and, and even King Fauci admitted that. Yeah, and, and it's funny that, you know, I, I've taken to, because I'm just a sick, sick person like this, listening to the Fresno County Department of Public Health. Uh, oh, that's painful. I, I've done I that, know. but it's painful. It, it's painful. But, you know, between them talking about the safe and effective vaccines and the PCR test being the gold standard, it's not. Well, I mean, 
is he that ignorant or is he just a liar? I'm, once, I'm really not sure. Once again, I I only, don't know. Only some of our supervisors are skeptical of what he says. Yeah. And, and, you know, that goes back to, for me, I always go look at the data. And I found, before it was taken down offline, I found the original authorization for the PCR test for COVID. And so it's... 74 pages if I not, if I remember correctly and I think it's on page 23 or 27 something like that it lists everything that the PCR test tests for COVID is not one of the things yeah it's viral pneumonia it's bacterial pneumonia it's a bunch of influenza it's some cold viruses it's some RSV it's all of those proteins but they were all off the shelf but that's all okay because every one of those got counted as a COVID case once again, these are these are type things that I don't have answers to, and I I try to avoid. Um, as I say, I try to avoid practicing psychology without a license. I don't want to get into anyone's heads and ascribe motivation. But when the CDC's own documents authorize a test for COVID that in their document doesn't test for COVID, I get skeptical. Yeah, what a crazy idea! It, it's crazy. You know, something else that is being used and, and, you know, if you've got the normal flu, which, by the way, last year CDC listed as zero cases. Just disappeared last year. Yeah, took just, the year off. Yeah. Um, did you experiment with, with antibiotics? So um, are you talking about with the COVID? With COVID. So the, the general protocol, and, it, and it's funny that this kind of thing is so revolutionary. For years and years and years, if you get the flu, what's the first thing that you take? Zinc and C. I mean, that's I mean, that's from when I was a child. That's those are the vitamins that you take. So, so you didn't have to reinvent the wheel. I, I didn't. You know, and that it makes sense. Viruses don't get cured, but their symptoms can be lessened when you take C and zinc. I, I mean, I remember my mom saying that. I remember my grandmother saying that. So Starting off with C, D, zinc, and um, magnesium, something like that K that helps you uptake the zinc. Um, the numbers out there on D is, I think it's what, 85% of the people that have caught COVID have been clinically D deficient? Yes. Okay, it makes sense to up your Z, your D. And even Fauci, probably a year ago, he said that the only vitamin that he takes regularly is he takes, I think the number was like 12,000 UIs of zinc every day. Why aren't we telling people around the world to take zinc when Fauci is saying, I take zinc? I'm sorry, I just said zinc. D. When he's saying he takes D. These things all make sense. So since the beginning of all of this, the whole family, we've been on that regimen. We've been taking D, C, and zinc. It just makes sense. If you can lessen your chance of getting it through stuff that we know works, then do it. Now, as far as the actual treatment regimen, and it's been called a bunch of different things, but antibiotics are very, very clear in this. And it's it's actually kind of funny. When I went back to Colorado, I had a um, basically a treatment guidelines that I, I got from America's Frontline Doctors I didn't realize until I went to the uh, Peter McCullough um, presentation that they were his documents. It was the exact ones that he had in his presentation. <laughs> and so the one document, it shows the progression of the disease. 
from viral replication to cytokine storm to um, basically the after effects. And the antibiotics are so critical because, well, let me, I'll start at the beginning. Viral replication, monoclonal antibodies, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin. There are studies all over out there showing that all of those things work very, very effectively. Almost all outside the U.S., though. They are because we're not, I mean. We're not allowing it. No, um, I think it was uh, McCullough that was saying that there was a, there was basically a 12-month moratorium on even allowing people to use off-label trials for hydroxychloroquine. So all we have is stuff from outside, is studies from outside the country. And there, there's hundreds. There's 60, 80, 100 on ivermectin. There's multiple 100 on hydroxychloroquine. And they all show some effect ranging from marginal to, you know, 60, 70, 80% effectiveness. The better ones tend to combine a few different elements, and those are the ones that have the much higher effectiveness. Absolutely, and so that's why they call it the multi-drug sequenced, um, sequenced uh, uh, now I'm drawing a blank, the multi-drug sequence uh, oh, uh, I just treatment. Yeah, it's basically multi-drug sequence protocol. So when you get the ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, monoclonals at the beginning, all of those things either stop or help your body stop viral replication. We know the spike protein is the bad thing on the body. That's what causes the cytokine storm. That's what all of the research is showing. So if you stop the viral replication, you have less spike proteins in your body. You're going to have less cytokine storm. That makes sense. So doing that first at the beginning of symptoms, and even when we went back there because we were treating my in-laws, we just went on hydroxychloroquine as a prophylactic. Um, there are whole countries that have tried things, either ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. India. India, and also some in Africa that just handed it out and, strangely enough, seem to have almost no problem with COVID. Yeah, and their death rate was much lower than ours. So after you go through the, the heading off the viral replication, the next part of it is the cytokine storm. And so one of the things that we're starting to see that I'm starting to see a lot of research on is aspirin because what this inflammation does is it makes basically micro blood clots. So you take aspirin, thins out the blood a little bit. It helps with the blood clots. Without the blood clots, that's what's going to your brain. That's what's going to your heart. That's what's going to all of your organs. So that's helping a little bit with the, um, the inflammation. The, that's also where the steroid comes in. So the oral steroid for people that have it really bad, that takes down the inflammation in your entire body. And once again, this is stuff that we've done for years and years and years and years. You treat inability to breathe or inability to take oxygen into the bloodstream with a steroid. Anyone that's had asthma knows this. It, um, well, we did this with SARS-1. Absolutely. They used hydroxychloroquine. By the way, um, Fauci was involved in that and seems to have forgotten every bit of it. Or he was bought off or I don't know. Yep. Something doesn't make sense. Let's it, just say that. And that's it is, you know, not, not practicing psychology without a license, but it doesn't make sense that we lost all of this, all of this um, knowledge that we've had for years. And then the last part is the um, antibiotics. COVID goes into the lungs. And what, are the, what were they listing for the first year as the cause of death? COVID pneumonia. Yeah. Well, it's just bacteriological pneumonia. 
So if you can't stop the viral replication and if you have all of the, um, the cytokine storm, all of the inflammation in the body, and then it moves into bacterial pneumonia, you treat that with antibiotics. And from frontline doctors, at the very, very, very beginning, what was the treatment that they came out with? Ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, viral replication, antibiotic, bacterial pneumonia, and the, um, and the prednisone, the, um, the steroid. Like steroid. That's been, that's been out there for coming up on a year and a half. Yes, but I'd say a whole lot of our medical community hasn't learned that because if you look at our numbers, um, we did worse in 2021 than we did in 2020. We had the shot, but we had less ability for doctors to prescribe off-label. Um, whether the shot works or not, there, there's a bunch of stuff to, to look at and go, well, wait a minute, we should worry about this. The U.S. represents about 4.23% of the world population, but we have somewhere around 18% of the deaths. That yep. makes sense. Yeah, it um, it is. It's one of those things that just doesn't make sense. And when you look at, and you know, this was another one of those really eye-opening things for me as I did this in um, October of last year. I looked at nine months of 2020 and nine months of 2021. Nine months of 2020 is no vaccine, no treatment, no nothing. Nine months of 20, I'm sorry, 2020. 2021 was treatment in remdesivir and vaccines being taken out throughout the population. In 2021, the COVID positives are higher the COVID hospitalizations are higher, the COVID deaths are higher, and the all-cause mortality is higher. So every bad indication is higher since we've had a treatment and we've had vaccines than it was before. So even if we don't know all the details of that, that begs a whole lot of questions. It does. Clearly, we're not doing something right. Yep. What the exact elements of that... Um, I'm sure will come out eventually. Yeah. And you don't have to be a, a anti-vax, a skeptic, a whatever. If the numbers are going the wrong day, way, we're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, the, the old adage that if you find yourself in a hole, the first thing you do is stop digging. What? No, come on. Yeah. And you know, there are, are there other external factors Yes, um, we all know suicides have gone through the roof. Drug overdoses have gone through the roof. Traffic accidents, all risky behavior has gone through the roof. We know all of those things. Well, what's causing that? The fact that we turned our society and all our norms upside down. So yeah. there's a the cost to the choices they made. Yeah, when when families have no money, that leads to depression. Depression leads to suicide, and it also leads to risky behavior. The All of these things go into it. So we can take treatments and vaccines off the table. Let's just look at what we're doing to society and just look at the risky behavior and the excess death. And we can say that that is not good because we're worse now than we were a year ago. There's a country we can look to without even looking to Florida that made headlines. That would be Sweden. 
and they took an entirely different approach. They said, if you're not in the in a vulnerable category, we're going to have school. You can still go out to eat. You can still have, go to a club. Do what you want. For a little while, they had a peak in COVID. Mostly cases, some deaths, but mostly cases. And then everything seems to have leveled off. And they're looking better than the rest of Europe with their approach. And I remember people like Fauci and Dr. Bricks all saying, oh, no, that's nuts. No, we need to have control of this. And I don't think they, do they intentionally not have any connection to what real world consequences are? Well, and, you know, that for me, that goes back to that knowledge that we've always had that we've lost or maybe intentionally lost. Natural immunity has always been better than vaccine immunity. Always. And, you know, always. Is that a really long time? Yes, always. The, if you had chickenpox, if you had a confirmed case of chickenpox, did you get the chickenpox vaccine? No, because it doesn't do any good. Any of these diseases that people had and recovered from, that was an automatic exemption from getting any kind of vaccine. They had somebody that had the 1918 flu. That 70, I think it was 72 years later, they tested their blood for antibodies for that strain of the flu. And they still had what would be considered strong immunity. Yep. With the um, the original uh, SARS-1 and MERS, they've done the same thing. There's still people that recovered from it still have antibodies from their natural immunity. Why did we just memory hole natural immunity? It um, doesn't make sense. Because they developed this vaccine and they wanted to make a lot of money. It's hard not to come to that conclusion. Um, you know, and if there's there's just so many of those things. And that's what, when I talk to people, that's what I like to ask them about is just look at these things that don't make sense. Um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm an I'm a engineer by trade. So one of the things for me, the first thing that didn't make sense is masks. I was following, I was online every single day trying to find the first micron measurement of the coronavirus in, what would that have been, February, March of 2020? Uh, March for sure. Yeah. I was trying to find who's the first person that's going to give me a measurement for a coronavirus. They finally did. It is an aerosol virus. An N95 mask does nothing. It might do a little bit, but anything less than an N95 does nothing. Yeah, and even really even an N99, because all that is is the N95 is 95% of the particles above a certain nanometer. Right. The virus is like three times smaller than that nanometer for the mask. And so as soon as I saw that, like, okay. Once again, I'm a, I'm a mechanics guy. I know that when you have a hole this big and a virus this big, it's not going to get stopped. The other thing that just really confused me is when you go through an industrial setting, there are lots of requirements for masking. Before I was allowed in an uh, industrial setting to mask someone, they had to get a lung function test. I had to fit test them. So this was all OSHA rules. All OSHA rules. 
I had to mark when the package was opened. I had to mark the number of hours that that mask was put into use. This is the same thing they have to do in hospitals. But all of a sudden, that went out the window. OSHA just looked the other way. I would have been fined tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars if I didn't have all that documentation in place because that's what you have to do to use masks safely and effectively. And the first day that it was masks are required, every bit of that went out the window. Well, no, it's not. It, in California, it wasn't actually masks are required. It was a face covering, so you could take a bandana, which nobody can argue has any use whatsoever, nope. and be compliant with the law. So how can you come to any – at least I can't come to any conclusion except this was about control, not about the science. Um, we're going to go ahead and take a break. <laughs> this is Eric Rollins. The Constitutionalist here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. And welcome back. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. Today I'm joined by somebody that is an engineer by trade but has a lot of common sense, has spent a lot of time figuring out early treatments and ways to make this whole disease more manageable. The whole idea that we didn't have early treatments and protocols and didn't allow doctors to use their abilities, their imaginations to figure out creative ways to help fix this problem. I know, take the American way approach to fixing a problem, and instead we took the communist approach, essentially authoritarianism. So why are you hopeful? How, how can we fix this? Well, um... Boy, I am actually, after all of that bad news, I am actually hopeful. And one of the reasons that I'm hopeful, and you brought it up at the very beginning, is that everything, you know, the old saying is that all politics is local. We can affect this locally. The best thing that any of us can do, we've gone out and done this. Talk to your friends. Mm -hmm. We have a group of people in Fresno, a friend group, that we've all shared the costs and gone out and got treatments. So if someone gets sick and gets actually symptomatic, not just I test positive and feel fine, but if some someone is actually symptomatic, we have all the ability to treat them here at town without having to go to the hospital. Um, one of the terms I heard early on, and I, it's escaping me who first said it, but was therapeutic nihilism. And I love that term. Um, it's, it's, I've got to look that up. I know who that is, but it's not coming to Absolutely. I don't remember if it's McCullough Malone. It's it's one of the big ones. Yeah. Um, but might have been Atlas. It, it could have been is that by doing nothing, we've never done nothing. And the great thing is, is that we can do something. Even if you are skeptical about all of the treatments that now I've put into effect and I've seen used, I didn't come up with them. A whole bunch of really smart people did. I used them and they work. So even if you're skeptical of that, they're not toxic. All of these things have no side effects. It's not like the vaccine that are quote unquote safe and effective, even though we've all, we all know people that have had side effects from them. These truly don't have side effects. What do you have to lose? Put them in place, stay out of the hospital. I think all of us can agree that staying out of the hospital is a good thing. I would think that would be a goal in general. 
or pre-COVID, taking care of your health. And nobody was talking about not just early treatment, but how can we make ourselves more healthy? Yeah. And, you know, it. I hate to say that, you know, lots of times our grandparents had it all right, but spend a little bit more time outside. Maybe eat a couple of extra carrots and a couple less donuts. You know, take a couple pounds off. I mean, I... I think that all of us could probably use lose a couple. Those healthy choices are easy. Mm-hmm. Those are things that we can all do. And whether you're the most hardcore vaccines are going to save us all or you're skeptical or you're somewhere in the middle, getting healthier, it not only protects you from COVID, it protects you from diabetes, heart disease, COPD, it protects you from all of those things that truly are killing us as a Western society. I would even say if your stress level and you're healthier, cancer levels are different. Absolutely. Your immune system works more efficiently when you're more healthy. Yeah. that That's not controversial in any way. It's not. And, you know, since you bring up immune system... I think one of the things that we can also do, and this, what's great is that this is actually a lot more fun, is we've gotten to be such a sanitized society. These hand sanitizers, it just makes me cringe every time I see them when we're bleaching every surface in the house. We're killing our immune system. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we were, we, we've talked before about the fact that people in Western societies are having much worse outcomes than co- from COVID than people in, I think the term now is developing countries. People that, I mean, these are p- folks from villages that have no sewage, no clean water, all of these. They actually are having better results dealing with COVID than Western society. They've got a stronger immune system just because of how they live. And part of that is that we've gotten to the point where we sanitize every germ off of everything. And so our immune system isn't getting a workout. Well, and part of our immune system, people don't seem to realize, most people don't seem to realize this, is there are good bacteria that work with our body. And when you sanitize your hands all the time, those bacteria get killed off. They're largely responsible for fighting off pathogens that enter through the skin. Yep. I mean, the uh, the probiotic market is becoming a huge industry because we're just killing the biotics that we already have in our body through all of these things. So, you know, if I would say what the hope is, first, even if you don't agree or if you're skeptical of the protocols, go try it. What do you have to lose? The worst possible outcome is you stay out of the hospital. Okay, that's easy. That's something that you can do. Are these things, you know, expensive? A a treatment dosage of ivermectin, I think right now is the prices have gone up. It's right. you know, it's a hundred bucks. Right, but it if if there weren't all the regulations, it would be less than ten. Absolutely, that that is true. So even at a hundred bucks, would you rather pay a hundred bucks out of pocket or go to the emergency room? I'd rather pay a hundred bucks out of pocket. So these are all things that we can do together. Get your friend group together. You know, the chances of when it comes right down to it, even if we look at the Delta, the Delta variant, 
for whatever worth variants are, is it's still probably 99 plus percent people have basically no effect from it. So the chances of your entire friend group getting severe symptomatic Delta variant at the same time is pretty small. Just get the early treatments and try them. You you really have nothing to lose. And the next part is just go do those fun things that we all want to do. We live in the Central Valley. We're close to Yosemite. Get in the mountains. Go on a hike. Go on a walk. Go to a playground. Ride your bike. All of these things are fun and can help. Well, humans by nature are social. And this whole idea of shutting everything down just doesn't work. Doesn't work. I thank you for joining me today. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 KXEX.